Today's episode, you will get Bears Rant, Rantingville, USA. Here we go. Cubs top 10 farm system of the decade. 2019 year in review. And the decade sports review. As much as I can remember. Runner on first base, two outs, and the pitch. The runner goes. The throw down to second base, the tag. He is out. And that is another caught stealing. At this point, I want to talk to you about Chicago Land Men's Health. It's a testosterone therapy clinic here in Chicago, Illinois. Dr. Michael Koff, Dr. Mark Andahar, they've helped me with the process and learning about my testosterone and where I want my testosterone levels to be at and help me with uh, getting the idea and getting, and getting educated on what I, needed, I need to do for my own health. And I recommend that you go check them out. Give them a call. Get a blood test at least. Find out where you're at and get the process started. Tell them E. Marquez sent you and check them out at uh, ChicagolandsMensHealth.com. And the phone number is 312-888-5655. Let them know that E. Marquez sent you. Rantingville, USA. Rantingville, USA. Welcome back to Caught Stealing with E. Marquez. Uh, special edition today. I woke up early on um, Tuesday, the 31st of December. What well, is the last year of 2019, last year of the decade? Now, uh, let's be clear about the decade, right? So we know that there was never a year zero. According to the calendar, this would be actually uh, the year, the new decade wouldn't. This would be the final year of the decade of the of the teens but we live in a year zero so now we have to change it i think i have to change it so i go from zero to nine uh 10 to 19 20 to 29 those are the decades right that's the way we're gonna do it from now on so let's make it clear now <laughs> um going going into today i i i I usually publish on Tuesday nights, but I had to do this today. This was, um, this came out um, because of the Bears press conference. Now, for many of you that uh, don't um, live in Chicago or, or, yeah, I'm a big-time Bears fan, big-time Notre Dame fighting Irish Cubs, Blackhawks, and, and uh, you know, I watch a general sports, um, but overall, uh, those are my big teams. Bulls, I'll, I'll watch, but I'm not a fan of. And um, uh, it's mainly Notre Dame football, Bears and Cubs and Blackhawks. So, but uh, o- overall, the Bears had their final press conference with their general manager and their uh, coach. Well, Matt Nagy didn't say much today, but Ryan Pace says that Mitchell Trubisky is going to be the starting quarterback in 2020. So let's put this into context, right? The Bears are playing the likes of Rams, uh, Titans, uh, Giants, the three teams in their division who are Lions, Packers, and Vikings. Then they have the Texans, the, the Saints, the Panthers, the Falcons, the Buccaneers, the Colts, the Jaguars. Um, and that's it. That's their schedule where... The Packers and Vikings are playing. The Vikings will be playing the uh, Seattle Seahawks and the Philadelphia Eagles. And the um, Packers will play the 49ers and the Cowboys or vice versa. Something like that. Cowboys go to Vikings or Eagles go to Packers. Something like that. But overall the Vikings are playing the Vikings and the Packers collectively are playing 20 games versus teams that were either eight eight or better in their records in 2019 
where the Bears are only pay- playing five. Um, they uh, actually uh, no, s- yes, yeah, six, six with the with the Rams being eight and eight. So they're not. Th- the schedule gives a clear advantage to the Bears, and I'm talking about the way the rosters are built today. The final day of 2019 gives a clear, clear advantage to the Bears. So even though the Bears don't do much of a roster overhaul, which is needed, um, they'll still be in contention to win the division just on the schedule alone. Now, with that being said, the Bears have to fix their tight end position, fix their offensive line, get their running back situation fixed, fix their quarterback. They have to get their cornerbacks and safeties fixed up or re-signed. Uh, they need more bulk in the middle. Akeem Hicks is the only one they have there. Everybody else is just average. So they need to fix their linebacker. So overall, in general, they need a good amount of turnover. So we'll see what they do. But the way Ryan Pace sounded today was just appalling. It was just bad. I, I thought that this love for Mitch... Um, this he's our quarterback and you have Matt Nagy sitting right next to Pace saying that they want Mitchell to read defenses and to get better at reading defenses to master it where Ryan Pace then says well it's nothing from the neck up I mean I don't get it It, I don't know if they're I know they're out of touch and you have to step up and tell that Mitchell You have to do things to be able to succeed in this league. You cannot just roll out of bed and throw four or five touchdowns. And you see it, his footwork. Matt Nagy mentioned today, the routes that the receivers run are based upon, are in conjunction with the footwork the quarterback needs to be able to complete the pass. So there's times that guys are running open but Mitchell can't see him because he gets overwhelmed by pressure. I'm talking about wide open to a point where all he has to do is just throw the ball in the air. Because that's how wide open these guys are. They're, and there's a mistaken footwork. All of a sudden, Mitch is scrambling. And it's, and it's really routine. Against the Vikings, there was two plays like that. You had uh, J.P. Holtz was wide open. Nobody around him for 30 yards. Then you had... Uh, Allen Robinson making a cut to be wide open while the rush was just getting to Mitch. Now, the better quarterback would know when and how to get rid of that. We, he would know they're sending all, it's an all-out blitz. There's no coverage, zero coverage in the middle of the field. You would know that. These are the things you would know and from looking at film, from getting tendencies. And, and, Again, Mitchell not being the quarterback that they expect him to be ruins that ruins that that play, and he gets sacked when there's opportunity to um to make a play there. So overall, you know, Mitchell needs to be. Mitchell is not the player that they think they that they think he's getting now from. My standpoint, for me listening to the press conference, I get that Ryan Pace has said, you know what, I'm hitching my wagon to Mitch Trubisky, to Matt Nagy, to my draft picks, Anthony Miller and Adam Shaheen. And that's it. He doesn't care about making the team better. He doesn't care about putting a good defense with a competent offense. He doesn't care about winning. What he wants to do is he wants to prove that his decision-making was the right one, was the correct one. And that's what it's showing. And they say, well, he says that they checked their egos at the door. What it shows to me is that he's got a massive ego. If he thinks that not making adjustments or understanding when to cut your losses is not happening, like you're not doing that on a regular basis, then you need to know that what you're doing is failing, you know, then he doesn't care. He's just saying, I'm going to live and die by this sword. Yeah, sometimes that's admirable. But when you have the opportunity to make it better, you have the opportunity to make it better. You should. You should put that out there. Um, 
it was just a real disappointing press conference. It, it's it's typical Bears press conference. Everything needs to be secretive. Everything needs to be oh we're reevaluating, reevaluating. So you got a month, or I guess the new football season, the new football year. I guess it's in March where the the, the year turns over. So that's when they got two months from there. And that's when they're going to make all their decisions. So are they reevaluating the month of January and February? Or have they not been reevaluating throughout the whole season? I mean, I, I, you know, these are things that I don't understand. But overall, in my, in my assessment, I think Ryan Pace has no idea. Or he has all the idea and he's hitching his wagon. He's hitching his wagon to Mitch Trubisky. And look at by default, the Bears are gonna compete next year. They got the, the roster's not bad. They have one of the best pass rushers and one of the best middle linemen or defensive linemen in the game. Sure. And they have a great wide receiver, Allen Robinson. Sure. They have a center that can play on any team. Yes. A great sec uh, safety in Eddie Jackson, although he didn't play well in 2019. But yeah, they got good players. But they need to get they need to get better players, and they need to start developing players. You know, be creative. You know, see if you can send Tariq Cohen for a third round pick. See if you can trade some players. Do you want to keep Roquan Smith? Does he have mental issues? You know. Is he a player that you can count on? If not, find a way to get a draft pick from for him. Overall, I think that you need... I think that's not the fourth time I said overall. My goodness. But anyway, you, you need to get... You need to have a plan. You need to go forward in getting, getting this team started. I mean, we have to start getting to playoffs. We, start, we have to start winning divisions in consecutive seasons. You got to stop. You got to stop. What is it? Seven now since 1990? Six or seven appearances in the playoffs since 1990? It's atrocious. It's atrocious. I, I said in a few podcasts, a few shows ago, I said, if you develop this scheme where a nine-year or ten-year plan where you win-win and reevaluate, win-win, reevaluate, win-win, reevaluate. If you put in the, where every three years... You're just either being real bad because you're trying something new and you want to get that schedule turnover to get the easiest schedule that fourth year and then a hard schedule the fifth year, but you try to win. And then the sixth year, you get a mediocre schedule, but you tank it or you lose or you're just experimenting. You're going to come with, you're going to have three seasons of mediocre to horrible football. And you're going to have six seasons to division champs to Super Bowl champs type football. You can do these things. If you have a system like that where it's a formula and you're taking advantage of what the schedule is looking like. That gives you six championship runs in a 10-year span or seven championship runs in a 10-year, 11-year span. You want that. You'll take that. That means you're a dynasty in this day and age of football. But it's hard to do. So every year you're trying to go in with a new uh, uh, plan or a new attack on, on the season. And you're trying to see how you're going to win it. But each, each year, or what, since 1994... Since the new playoff structure, there's been four teams in the playoffs every year. New four teams in the playoffs every year. So if that's the case, then you might as well adjust to the times. And I'm kind of wondering why haven't teams figured it out. Or you stockpile talent. So when you're, the, when you're picking in the draft, you should never be picking on need. You should always be picking on the best players you should always get the top talents therefore when you can trade them off for more picks because you have that position filled or you're developing that player in another position you want to get the fastest running backs you might not be so big 
They might not be good in, in, in pass blocking, but you can probably ship one off for third round pick later in the future. You always want to pick the strong arm quarterback, the 6'5, 6'4, strong arm quarterback. If you already got a franchise quarterback, but this guy is developed in two, three years, you can get a first round for him, like what they did with Jimmy Garoppolo for the New England Patriots. So this is what I'm saying. Like, you either stockpile your draft picks for later in the future while you're doing good. So if you're picking from 25 to 30 in the first round, you're trading those things off for future first rounds. Or you're trading those off for more second round picks. And then you stockpile and you develop. Or you tank. Tank every three to four seasons. So that way you have a winning season seven times out of ten. So this is what we're doing here. This is what we're trying to figure out. Because what the Bears are doing is not working. Bears, it's not working. And I understand if they had a better quarterback, they would be better. Matt Nagy has to be better as a, as a head coach. Now, as a head coach, he's probably fine because he's got the respect of the room. But as a play caller, he has to be better. He has to be better. I think against the Vikings, and nobody says this because I don't think anybody was watching, to be honest. But I think they did like 7, 10, 11 wide receiver screens. And was that Mitchell... Picking that play like a run-pass option, he just threw the right receiver screen. Because they did a lot of them. They did a whole bunch of them. And, I, man, I mean, I would watch the game again, but for what for? Just to prove or just to count how many times they did it? I know they did it a lot of times. That's just bad play calling. I mean, that's just bad. But Matt Nagy is a play caller, needs to be reevaluated. He needs to reevaluate himself and... and other than that, as a coach, he seems to have everybody's respect. He seems to have all the coaches in line. And he's a winner, right? He's got 20 wins, two years as a head coach. That's great. 20 and 12, he's fine. You know, if you count the playoff game, 20 and 13, that's good. That's a positive weight. That's a positive note. One coach of the year, fine. But his offense is not great. His offense is not great. It's supposed to be some kind of quarterback whisperer, master's degree in quarterback development, to have all these offensive gadget gadget plays okay well that hasn't happened yet here so um there goes my rant and tangent i mean my rant on uh, on the bears press conference and i'll be back with baseball news and an article that i found um that was really interesting uh top minor league systems in the decade Okay, I'm back for talking about the decade, the top farm systems of the decade. So in 2014 or from 2011 to 2010 to 2019, MLB put out or his article was put out about top farm systems. And the Cubs were ranked fourth in that. Uh, You had the Atlanta Braves, one, Houston Astros, two. Uh, The Nationals were up there. Um, there was another team before the Cubs. I they, I draw a blank. I know the Dodgers were out there. Cardinals were seventh. Well, let me see if I can pull up the whole complete list as I talk to you here. That being significant because the farm system is the way you get sustained success, right? So having um. You know your 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 farm system, meaning you're pulling in talent uh, throughout the throughout the years, and you're developing them. That's pretty interesting. So here's the list right here. You got the Braves, the Astros, uh, the Red Sox, Cubs, Nationals, Diamondbacks, Cardinals, Dodgers, Marlins, and Royals. Now. I don't know, I don't see the Diamondbacks here, but they have, I don't see how the Diamondbacks got in here. They got Paul Goldschmidt, an eight round, an eight round choice in his year when he was drafted. Uh, AJ Pollock, 
Ender Insignarte, Adam Eaton, Patrick Corbin, Trevor Bauer, David Peralta, Mitch Hanniger. Those are some stat stuffers there. There's some good players. I, I don't, maybe, I don't think, I don't know how they were ahead of the Dodgers where uh, the Dodgers had Corey Seager, Cody Bellinger, Jock Peterson, Walker Bueller, Alex Verdugo, Julio Urias, and Will Smith. Um, they also produced Carlos Santana, Yasiel Puig, and Kenley Jensen. Well, I mean, the Dodgers are a better farm system than the Diamondbacks, and it's proven because the Dodgers were have been perennial NL West division winners. The Marlins, here's the Marlins with their crop. Um, Marlins developed a pair of MVPs, Stanton and Yelich. I don't know if they developed because these guys are these guys were developed elsewhere. They were good, but the Marlins cannot get all the credit in developing these players. Car Giancarlo Stanton won as a Miami Marlin. Fine, I thought that his MVP run was uh, that that wasn't justified. I didn't think he was an MVP. Um, Marcel Ozuna, JT Realmuto, uh, the late Jose Fernandez, who probably been the best pitcher in the league at this point. Louis Castillo, who's a one-year wonder, uh, he finally has turned it around, and uh, he, 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 this is his third team now. He's with the Cincinnati Reds, so the Marlins, and here's the Royals in the tops in the top spot. Uh, it, they were battling with the Pirates and the Rays for that. So the Royals did go to the World Series in 2014, winning it in 2015. Uh, they didn't turn out true superstars, but they got Salvador Perez, Mike Moustakas, Danny Duffy, Eric Hosmer, Greg Holland, uh, Kelvin Herrera, and uh, they also included Jake Odorizzi, Sean Manaya, uh, recently with Merrifield, and Alberto Mondesi. So, the Cubs, they got Chris Bryant, Baez, uh, they traded for Kyle Hendricks. Um, in here, they also have DJ LeMahieu, Sterling Castro, Glebor Torres. Uh, they Jorge Soler, Elo Jimenez, and Wilson Contreras. So that's their claim to fame. Mookie Betts was a fifth rounder for the Red Sox. Xander Bogarts, Johan Mancada, Rafael Devers. They also produced Anthony Rizzo, Travis Shaw, uh, Josh Riddick, and they also got uh, Ben Attendee. So uh, the Braves, the Braves got a good, I mean, the Braves do a lot of things in their farm system. Even though they can just not win, they got a great farm system, and they, I believe they've always had one. Uh, Freddie Freeman, Andrelton Simmons, Jason Hayward, Greg Kimbrell, uh, Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Osby, Abis, Mike Soraka, um, Julio Tehran, Mike Miner, Alex Wood, Dansby Swanson, and Max Freed. So that's a pretty good, that's a pretty interesting list. A lot of talent there. A lot of talent. Another article that caught my, 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 uh, my eye was this one by the Cub Insider. And this is Michael Cantor. He says the Cubs are good enough to win a division. Castellanos reportedly still in play. So I thought that, you know, the Cubs, here it says in an elementary concept to consider when based on cumulative war, the roster as it currently sits should be considered the favorites to win the NL Central. Maybe it makes sense to Cub fans to expect a roster reset due to the sheer disappointment of last season. But it's not that easy a decision for the guys whose jobs are dependent upon the success of the team. So he says, he goes on to talk about the 71 team. Uh, he says stuff uh, based on the fact there is no reason to think that this year's roster isn't good enough to get back to the postseason. Of course, they'll need to replace Cole Hamels, Ben Zobris. If they can't get Nicolo Castellanos back, they need to replace him. Um, they also need to uh, they need to choose Tyler Chatwood, Alec Mills to grab the final rotation spot. Nico Horner and Ian Happ to make big jumps. 
the likelihood exists that Theo Epstein will break up his core as finances will dictate. Though the Cubs president of baseball operation has perhaps been tasked with trimming the payroll to get near or under the $208 million tax threshold. The Cubs will still have the highest payroll in the division, if not the entire National League. I'd venture to guess if there was a way to keep his team together and add a few um, pieces in free agency, Epstein would rather do that. Okay. Uh, incredibly, and according to inside sources who have talked to John Morosis, the Cubs are still in on Castellanos. Uh, Rowan Wick is one of the shining examples of effectiveness of Chicago's new development strategy for its young pitchers. The Cubs have this new way to develop pitching in their minor leagues, and they just rolled this out not too long ago. And I guess Rowan Wick is one of those prized uh, uh, talents. <clears throat> uh, well, overall, I think <clears throat> the Cubs, there's no question that the Cubs... People are sleeping on the Cubs, and even our, even our, in our own fandom, we're sleeping on the Cubs because remember they're talented enough. They have three, four of the top players in the National League, if not the major leagues. They're not a bad team. It's more of lineup construction, and I went couple couple episodes ago talking about lineup construction. And if the Cubs had a system where their lineup construction was consistent and these players knew where they were every day they were in the lineup, I think it would be a better outcome. All because of just, it's just routine, right? It's baseball players say they love routine. Although when I played baseball, it wasn't about routine. It was just making sure I felt good. Sometimes if I felt bloated or if I felt like I had to take a shit, that wasn't good. If I had a foggy headache or, you know, my knees were not bending the right way, um, uh, my arm didn't feel the ball throwing the right way, that was what it was all about. It wasn't, oh, I need to brush my teeth with my left hand in game day. I need to use these uh, underwear. I need to make sure I tie the left, the right shoe, shoelace first and then the left. I need to put eye black in this direction and then in this direction. You know, there wasn't none of that stuff. It was more everything was about feel. When it was cold as hell outside in Chicago, how did I get myself ready and going, you know? And then preparation, knowing who was I going against, knowing the tendencies of other batters. Since I was the catcher, I, I had to know more than the pitcher. Remember, pitchers have this ego that, you know, first of all, they don't make mistakes. Secondly, you need to help them from making mistakes. Everybody else. It's, it, this is pitchers. Pitchers are like, hey, I can only do so much. You got to help me. And and then they, will, they won't give you the credit for giving you help, but that's okay. You won. And you pat them on the back and you tell them, go sit down, go play golf, go chill, and we'll talk again in five days. This is what pitchers do, you know, and, and uh, in my situation in college and in high school, uh, you know, the pitcher was actually your third baseman or your shortstop or your center fielder, you know, so, but when the pitcher's on the mound, he's, it's never his blame, so they have a routine, they have a system, and you got to help them, so being the catcher, you have to know these things, and preparation is what gets you into the next is what gets you into that game mode. Now, the superstition part or the routine part, a lot of these guys go by it because they don't want to, if they break their routine and then they pull a hamstring or roll an ankle or get beamed by the ball in the back and it leaves a welt, they say, oh man, that happened because I didn't go through my routine. Or they went 0 for 4. They'll say something like, man, you know what? I shouldn't have left my routine. And, you know, that's how it is. That's how it is with baseball players. So if you get these guys in their positions, not only on defense, but in offense, in their batting order or in their where their, where their talents fit well in the lineup, I think it would be a different ballgame. I truly do. So do, do I don't want the Cubs to have to trade anyone. Will they trade people? Only if it benefits them. If it doesn't benefit them, there's no reason to trade Chris Bryant. 
But if Chris Bryant brings back two starting pitchers, a minor leaguer, and an outfielder, then yeah. Or if I can get a stud in return and I know I got a good chance in extending his contract, then yeah, I'll trade Chris Bryant. You know, I'll trade Contreras if he, if he brings me back five studs. But I'm not going to trade them if I don't need to. And that's because you have replacements at third base. You have replacements at catcher. You, those are already there. Um, you need pitching. You know, you want young pitchers. And you want to be able to line up, construct. You want to be able to construct your lineup around the guys that are going to be there. And right now, if the Cubs do get Castellanos back, this team should be built around Baez, Castellanos, Rizzo, and Contreras. If you deal Contreras, then Baez, Rizzo, and Castellanos is is fine. You're not getting rid of Hayward's contract, so he's going to be in there. Should be batting 6th, 7th, or 8th. You're, you're, if you keep Bryant, he should be batting two, three, four. If you're keeping Contreras, he should be batting four, five, six. But the, you gotta build around the Castellanos and the Bias, and when you do that, you're gonna have a better structure for your lineup. So, and uh, you know that that's where I feel about uh, this year and. and and, and, you know, regarding these two articles about the farm system and about the Cubs still being able, still being the most talented uh, to win the division in 2020. So I'll be back with uh, talking uh, about end of decade stuff. So uh, just a little five minute, six minute session of that. And uh, we'll go into uh, the new year on a, on a good note. And we'll, we'll go from there. Uh, be back soon. I'm back here now talking about the year in review and the decade in review. Now, 2019 was an empty sports season. It was bad. Cubs went backwards. Bears went backwards. Um, White Sox made a little bit. uh, Nah, they they didn't do nothing. Um, Blackhawks went way back. Notre Dame football started off bad versus Clemson, but then picked it up. Although 11-win season was a, was a losing season, there wasn't really much of, of anything. Um, even though the Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship, which was a good quality feat. It was a good quality uh, accomplishment. They, they, it, was, it, was, it was empty. It was empty, but to me it wasn't. My, my one of my biggest thing is ability is your best ability. Availability is your best ability. So when Thompson and Durant and uh, Curry could not uh, stay healthy or stay on the court because they're more fragile than glass, hey, that that just goes to show you they're they're not battle tested. They're they take for granted they couldn't well for whatever reason they got hurt and they got injured um you know some like to say that uh, oh those are freak injuries you know you can never tell well then why do these teams spend so much money in their medical department why do these teams spend so much money in their physical therapy in their sleep schedules in in just therapy psychological therapy in their well-being in their diets if injuries were just a fluke then why do these teams invest so much into it sometimes you might step wrong you might sometimes you just need to heal better injuries it's part of every game and this is why we play the game and this is why you cannot go to a video game and say, oh, this player is going to do this because he was a 99 rating on Madden. No, it doesn't work that way. You have to play the game. You got to play the game. When you can't play, you can't be effective. And if you can't be effective, you can't be great 
or you can't be good or you can't be impactful. That's just it. Availability is your best ability. And that's just how it goes. But in, um, uh, you know, <clears throat> Clemson dominated um, in the beginning of the year to win their national title. They come back, they're right back into the uh, playoff uh, situation and then in the championship versus LSU. So college football was competitive in 2019. Um, <clears throat> the year was an empty year, was an empty year of sport. It just was. For me, what stands out was my wedding. And I kind of like it like that. Everything else was mediocre to bland to bad. Where one event stood out to me and in my life and in my world was my wedding. And it was an absolute joy and an accomplishment for myself to do that. So I will take it. I will replace all the bad sports stuff with a great, magnificent wedding. So um, that's 2019, not a decade. In this decade, we had the likes of Brian Urlacher, um, uh, Derek Rose, we had Jay Cutlers, we had uh, Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, we had, um, uh, in basketball, I can't even think, besides uh, Derek Rose, you had Jimmy Butler, but eh, that's a eh. I like Jimmy, but he wasn't... Um, Jimmy Buckets was not, uh, he doesn't go up in a higher echelon. But you had Lance Briggs, you had um, <clears throat> Peanut Tillman, um, Devin Hester. Was Devin Hester here? Uh, he might have been here one or two years in the decade. I think it was 2011, 2012. I could be mistaken. But we had some great, great players. And in Notre Dame, um, oh, this has been the decade of Brian Kelly as the head coach. It's, you know, as much as I'm not into what he does, I guess he's got a method to his madness. He's a fantastic recruiter. He does a real good job for Notre Dame. There's been epic upon epic games. We had Manti Teo, right? Manti Teo was in this decade. Uh, not much quarterbacks to mention. Wimbush and... Ian Book, um, uh, uh, Zaire, you had Zaire play over there, we, we had <clears throat> Julian Love in Notre Dame, in Notre Dame outfit, um, there's been some great players in our, in, in this decade for local teams, uh, oh, the Blackhawks, of course, the team of the decade with three Stanley Cups, Jonathan Taves, um, Patrick, Patrick Kane, first battle Hall of Famers, Marion Hosa, uh, you had uh, Crawford, and before Crawford, uh, you had, uh, um, I forget his name, his name escapes me, but the goaltender that was really good, played out his mind one year. Uh, you, you know, you had Duncan Keith, you, know, you had some good, good, epic moments for the Blackhawks over, overall. And then, you know, you go around the leagues in football, you had the Patriots dominance. You had Seattle, Seattle Seahawks playing well. Uh, the Ravens were in there winning a championship. You had Harbaugh's 49ers that were really good. Um, you had the New York Giants doing the... Uh, beating the Patriots to end their perfect season. In baseball, you had the Giants, the San Francisco Giants, winning three or two out of the three. It went 2012, 2014. No, no, it was 2010, 12, and 14. Uh, so that was pretty good. And they had some amazing games in the playoffs. You had the Royals competing in the finals in the World Series. You had the Dodgers dominance of the NL West. Um... The Yankees fall and rise. Uh, so you had some good moments in this decade of sport. Olympic moments with Phelps and Simone Biles. I thought that was amazing what she was uh, be able to accomplish. I think, I think the NCAA college sports should look at something that the Olympics do. 
the Olympics, you don't get paid. You don't get paid for being an Olympic athlete. You don't get paid by the USOC or the US Olympic Committee. I don't know what it is, but they, they don't get paid from them. But they make so much money in endorsements. Uh, Michael Phelps is multi-millionaire in his endorsements, in his camps, in his likeness, in everything that he uses. I mean, Simone Biles, she's a professional. And she's able to compete in the Olympics, college football, college baseball. They need to do this. They need to be a college Olympics. They need to be able, uh, Olympic sports. They need to be able to sell off or be able to make money on their likeness and the endorsements because they're, they're a reason why these teams or these, these players, um, you know, being a college athlete is still a high-level athlete. So I like him to see them do something in that nature. And I like to see it soon. I like to see it soon. Um, if I replace the decade, if I forget about the past and go into the future, what I would be looking for in the 20s would be Notre Dame to be able to compete and be national championship contenders for a long, long time. I mean, the good, the whole decade. In football, I would look to see the Bears' development. 2020 is the year. Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace is not here going forward. I think that they will have a problem. They will have an issue. Um, will they be the team that fires a general manager, manager, I mean a coach every three years? Or will they be the team to find sustained success? That's something I'll be interested in looking for. I want to see the White Sox rebuild. Yeah, all these people seem to think that the White Sox are on the cusp of winning. I don't seem to think that. They don't have any winners. None of those guys are passionate about the sport that they're playing for, who they're playing for. There's a lot of Cuban players in the White Sox. They're not playing for Cuba. They don't play. These teams don't play for the team they play for themselves the way you see these teams succeed is when they're playing for the next guy next to them that's when you see these professional teams go above and beyond their abilities or their expectations so can the white Sox do that can the development of these young players happen do you trust the white Sox brass or the white Sox minor leagues to develop these young players I heard a story that the White Sox farm system, sorry, the White Sox organization, it only has like four offices. It has the CEO, as the CFO or the COO. Then it has baseball president of operations, and then the general manager, and then scouting director. And that's it. Where other organizations have 20, like the Blackhawks, they have like 10, 12, 15 offices. Director of marketing, director of marketing in game, director of marketing, um, recruiting, the, you know, director of scouting, uh, president of, of business operations, president of hockey operations. The list goes on and on, and they're in the same building. You know, I don't know this for a fact because I'm not in there, but it'll be interesting to see because can the minor league system, are they equipped to develop talent? It's a question I ask. I want to see. I want to see where this talent goes. Because if this talent does not become something, then what was this rebuild for? I don't like prospects. I'm not a fan of prospects. For every five, six, seven prospects, one or two are going to make it. I think it's actually seven to ten prospects. One or two is going to make it. So if you have a... 15 a prospect rich system of 15 top guys two or three are gonna make it and that's where you got to develop your team from because there's gonna be some that get hurt there's gonna be some that don't pan out there's gonna be some that you trade off and you know what do you do then this 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 putting this putting this thought that the white Sox are on the cusp of greatness don't understand it. I have to see it on the field. 
have to see it on the field. Don't give me garbage stats. Give me wins. Give me games that they've come from behind, that they've dominated from first inning to ninth inning. Give me these games that they win. Give, put them, string some wins together. Seven in a row, 10 in a row, 20 in a row. Yeah, I'd like to see it. Did they handle the Twins last year? In the beginning of the year, the Twins dominated them. In the end of the year, Twins were already comfortable. White Sox played well against them. Twins won 100 games. The Indians won 96 games. People think that the Indians are giving up. They still got Francisco Lindor. Until that guy is gone, the White Sox are going to have a problem. They got a great starting pitching staff in Cleveland. White Sox are going to have a problem. So the, the, the Twins and the Indians are not going anywhere. Yeah, the other two teams, Detroit and Kansas City, they're the worst. Worse than majors. But where are the White Sox at in that, in that, in that realm? You know? And also, what I also want to see is I want to see baseball come back. You know, this is not analytic ball. I don't want to see six, seven home runs in a game and 30, 35 strikeouts in a game. This is not analytic ball. This is baseball. Don't tell me analytics is the right way to do it. It's fine to have analytics, but it's also fine to have talent. And if you want to be entertaining, if you consider yourself entertainment, you have to play the game at a level that the regular Joe, that the regular person can only imagine and dream of playing. You cannot just play a game where you strike out four times and then you run into one that goes 400 feet. You can't do that. You can't do that. Baseball needs to come back. You need to have quality, high-level play. You got to have quality professional at-bats. You have to have quality professional pitching. The umpires need to be top-notch. Look at everybody wants robot umps. But remember, until they figure out how the ball goes through the zone and not touch the zone, they're already having problems in the experiment where they're calling strikes and the ball's hitting the ground because a curveball barely nicked the, the front of the strike zone. No, it has to go through the zone. And this is what's not understanding. It's a cube above the plate or a five-sided uh, hectagon, you know, or cube, I'm sorry, because the point is still the zone. There's still the strike zone. So the ball needs to go to, through the cube for a strike. So take this analytical stuff, throw it in the garbage. If it doesn't help you get runners in scoring position and bring in runners in from scoring position, then, you know, don't tell me 25%, 30% means, oh, this guy always hits it here. No, no, no. Play baseball, basketball. Analytics is starting to rear its ugly head into basketball. In the next decade, I would love to see NBA basketball become basketball again. Pass the ball. Move the ball. Move yourself. Back screens. Front screens. Pick and rolls. Defenders, defend with your hands up. Defend with your hands in passing lanes. Offensive rebounding. Rebound, secure the basketball. Less turnovers. You know, I don't want to see three-point shot after three-point. I don't want to see a game where there's been 83-point shots taken. It's dumb. That's dumb. It's not basketball. It's not. It's an Olympic sport now. So there's only good. It's only good for four years. It's only good for every four years, man. Let's get back to the games that we love. Let's get back into the competitiveness. Let's get dig deep. Into getting nice, getting these top-notch talents to compete at a high level. Also, college basketball. Figure out a way to keep these players in, which you pay their likeness. You either have them go directly into NBA, and the NBA develops a better minor league system. And with that, if you come to college, you got to stay two years the least. You got to do this. You got to have a system in place because college basketball needs to show in college basketball. It's that weekend warrior, high level weekend warrior. The passion needs to come back. The passion needs to come back and you need to teach the game. The game needs to the game needs to be better. Everything is not about money. 
because there's a bunch, a bunch of people, a bunch of people that are going to college and coming out making 150, 250, uh, 350,000 dollars and living beautiful lives. So not everybody's gonna be a multi-millionaire basketball player. Not everybody. So even then, when you go one and done and you're drafted seventh or eighth or sixth in the draft, you're getting a high paycheck. You're getting seven, eight million dollars to play basketball. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. But you stop developing your game because you're told, oh, this is your comp. This is who you're going to be like. No, continue developing your game. Be the best. Want to be the best. But if you just if you play the game in college or in the minor leagues and you start developing yourself as a three point shooter or a pick and pop player or a big man that can put, get the back to the basket and run a pick and roll or shoot the 15 foot on a consistent basis. Now you're a professional. Now you're a pro. You know, you're not going to go into a team and they're going to be like, oh, they're not going to have four or five players that are superstars. So these one and done guys who think they're superstars. You're not. You're not. You're great talent, but you got to hone in that talent. So that's what I'm looking for for the next decade. I'm looking to get back to the competition and back to sport. But yeah, overall, again, this is the episode of overall. <laughs> but completely you know, the decade has been a satisfying decade for me, has been a new lease on life, a new beginning. Uh, I mean, I 10 years ago, I never would have thought about, oh, 2010, you know, what's going to happen in this decade? Not even close. So we move on, we move up, and we don't get caught stealing because you know you can't steal that base, son. And there it is, another episode of Caught Stealing with Emar Kez. Hope you enjoy it. Remember to share, subscribe, send it out to your buds, uh, like, do all the things that you do on your uh, podcast uh, platform. But that way, I can bring out more content. Uh, I'll be be doing still. I'll still be doing two uh, episodes a week. So I'll see you guys soon. Take care now. Thank you.